Hello and welcome to another edition of the From the Booth podcast. I'm Evan Eich and he's Cody Clark. Cody, the last time we got together and spoke was the night after day one of the NFL draft all the way back in late April. And to say that a lot has happened in the world at large, not just sports, since the last time we talked would be a gross and gigantic understatement. It really would be. It feels like, you know, a year and a year and a half's worth of of different things in sports and around the world has been crammed into the past couple of months. It's uh it's wild, dude. It's wild. Yeah, with the, since since the last time we talked, we've had nationwide protests and unrest not seen since the 60s during the height of civil rights in Vietnam. We've we've seen state flags being changed we've seen flags getting banned from nascar we've seen an nfl team change their name or plan on changing their name it's just it it really makes us feel like the nfl draft in mid-april when we talked it really feels like that happened like a hundred years ago no, it really does. It really does. Just so much has happened, and especially in the sports world, like you said, every you know, the, all of the, all of the different social justice issues, and then you know, couple that with the fact that all of these leagues, amidst the pandemic that we've got going, you know, all of these leagues are trying to figure out the safest way to come back and and play sports because those those franchises and those uh, cities need those teams to get back to action. So it's um, it's an interesting time we're living in. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, 2020 has been maybe like the strangest, most there's a lot going on here year I've had in a long time. There's there's no doubt this is one of those, you know, you'll you'll remember for, you know, you'll remember for the rest of your life. You'll remember what you were doing and you'll remember what was going on just because so much has happened here and in, in in this first half of, of 2020, I think it's, you know, you're going to you're gonna remember it for a long time to come. It's going to have, like, its own section in history class. There's going to be, like, <laughs> American history, and then there's 2020. Yeah, like, there's just a lot to unpack there. It's going to be, like, its own section of American history. Like, 1968 is its own section of American history with everything that happened there. No, oh, no question. And like I said, like we've talked about, we've we've packed it all into half a year. We still have half a year to go. We still have Major League Baseball season, NBA playoffs, NFL is going to try and play. I mean, you know, we're only halfway through the year. Yeah, it's um, it, it really feels like it. It feels like centuries ago that Kansas City won the Super Bowl and. You know, we were just kind of chilling, and then mid-March happened, and everything just came to a grinding halt and and accelerated. But, Cody, this is going to be a show of callbacks, because we're going to be looking at stories we previously touched on, and just sort of how how they ended up. And when the... I honestly don't really know what to call them, because they're not the Washington Redskins anymore, but they don't have a name... So should we just still call them that or should we just say the team formerly known as the Redskins, Washington? Like what's what do we call them? I'm just calling them Washington. They, there's no formerly known, there's no yet to be named. They're just Washington right now. 
Okay, so for the purposes of the discussion, we're just going to call them Washington because I really don't know what else to call them. But last season when they fired Jay Gruden, Bruce Allen, who's no longer with the team, said, and I quote, Our culture is damn good and wow, how poorly has that <laughs> chestnut aged after what happened, uh, after that report that came out on Friday detailing dozens of, itch, of instances of workplace sexual harassment and misconduct. And it should be noted that owner Daniel Snyder was not personally named in these reports, but wow, hearing that statement from Bruce Allen, you're just like, Oh, I, I cannot believe how poorly that has aged. Yeah, this uh, this has not that has not aged well to to say the least. And and you know, an interesting part of this for me is the fact that you just pointed out that while you know Snyder hasn't been specifically named in that. I mean, it, it's ultimately your job. You know, one as a general manager, and then two as an owner. You know, whatever goes on, it falls under your watch. And you know, of course, the owner doesn't know. You know necessarily the day-to-day of of what every employee or, or what everyone's doing but it is 100 percent uh ultimately falls to you and like you said you know they the 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 illusions of the culture that they thought they created uh with that logan quote is just it is really telling because you know reading the reports reading the article you know that is about the furthest thing from the truth possible so it's just you know it's just a horrendous situation a horrific situation i don't know how anyone in that upper level management keeps their job you know there the reports that i saw were you know snyder is you know not going to to sell the team or anything like that but you know i there's going to be a lot of pressure because there's just just really really horrendous things alleged happening in that washington uh organization and frankly just things that that cannot be tolerated and so you know the fallout from here is going to be interesting to watch because i feel like you know the 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 entire management staff you know snyder as well just from a football product on the field you know that hasn't been there and so there's been some heat and some pressure just if you're looking at on the field operations and if you add in uh, these things off the field as well there is a long uphill climb in Washington to try and turn things around for that franchise both on the field and off the field as well where it's potentially you know more hazardous off the field uh, no doubt about that yeah everything around this team has been wild uh as recently, remember, as recently as 2013, and I know with where we are in 2020, 2013 might as well be ancient Egypt, but but bear with us here. When he was asked about changing the name in 2013, he was as defiant as can be. He said, put it, on, put it in all caps. It's never going to happen. Never. Absolutely not. Non-starter. Don't ask me about this. Then Frederick Smith, then Fred Smith owner of FedEx, and also the father of Tennessee Titans offensive coordinator Arthur Smith, if you didn't know that, came out and said, we want you to change the name. Nike pulled all of the gear. The, the I think it was the federal government or whoever owns the land of FedEx Field said, 
you're not allowed to get a new stadium until this name changes. They announced that they're going to rebrand, and it's not we're going to rebrand next season. It's we're going to try to do a billion-dollar sports rebrand in the next couple of weeks. And they don't have a name because some guy in Virginia squatted on all the trademarks, so all of the potential names that Dan Snyder could have used, he can't use because he doesn't own the trademarks to them. And to top that off, every other minority owner is looking to shell to sell shares of the team and nobody wants them. I mean, just think about that for a second. You could potentially own a piece of an NFL team, one of the most exclusive, impossible to get into clubs. And Dan Snyder's minority owners are selling their shares and everybody's like, nah, I'm, I'm good. Can you think, like, even the Donald Sterling Clippers didn't have this much turmoil around them when his whole scandal happened. Is there an end in sight? I mean, I definitely think there's an end in sight, but, I mean, we're not, you know, it's not something where, you know, the the first couple of, you know, in a few weeks, you know, a training camp opens and then, you know, a season starts a few weeks after that and, it's kind of all behind you. I mean, as you mentioned, you know, they're going to going to have to, to make that name change and do all of those things, you know, presumably before the season starts. And, and, and even then, you know, this stuff is going to linger into uh, the season and you're going to have to answer these questions all the time. Your players are going to have to, to answer these questions. And, th- you know, I, I think there's an end in sight at some point. But it is definitely, uh, definitely a, a process that that's going to take place in Washington because this is not something where you just, you know, a couple of weeks of bad PR and it's all said and done. I mean, these are, these are, from all accounts of the reporting that's been done, these are systemic problems in Washington's front office. And you know, frankly, and then you look at on the field, and Ron Rivera's got his got his work cut out for him there as well because the results haven't exactly been there on the football field as well. So juggling all of those things and then, you know, from just a a football operations perspective and then all of the, as, as we mentioned earlier, the allegations of what's been going on in the front office, this is far from over. And I think a lot more is going to come out over the course of the next couple of weeks and next couple of months regarding everything that's, that's uh, being reported has happened. Yeah, uh, so I felt scummy on a couple of levels reading this. Uh, obviously, like, the content of the report is horrifying. I don't think a reasonable person can read that and be like, yeah, I don't see what the problem is. But Yeah, no, that's disgusting. But I was equally bothered by all of the reporting around the report because it sounded like people were gleeful and excited, like, oh, man, something big's coming out of Washington. It's going to be huge. Wait till you hear this. And naturally, the internet speculation imagination machine ran wild with all these crazy conspiracy theories of what it's going to be. And then the report came out, and I guess because I hate myself or I'm a bit of a masochist, I went through like all of the threads to see what the reaction is. And I didn't really see a lot of outrage. I saw a lot of people looking at the report being like, really? Like sexual harassment? That's it? That's all you got? Like, did you feel kind of uncomfortable or bothered by all of the reporting around the reporting before the before it actually came out? 
Yeah, that you know, the speculation of you know, I think a, a lot of that is natural in terms of you know what's gonna you know what what what's coming out of Washington, but then definitely you know definitely the the reaction when it's come out um, is just is just not right. I mean, these are these are humongous issues and disgusting things that are alleged to have taken place in the Washington front office. And, and there's, there's absolutely no place for, for any of that anywhere. And so, you know, some of the people that, as you mentioned, have been like, Oh, that's it. Or, Hey, that's not a big deal. I mean, those are, you know, this is, this is a major, major deal. And so that part I have, I have not enjoyed because this is a major, major issue and a systemic problem. And that, that's, that's just not something that we need to, to sweep under the rug or be underwhelmed about. It, it felt a little disheartening when people, when I saw the, the comments were like, well, that was anticlimactic. Like it was a bad ending to a movie. Like there were legitimate conspiracy theories accusing Daniel Snyder of just absurd baseless things based on what the report was going to be and i i guess this is what happens when you just kind of like leave all these breadcrumbs and you know the the wandering imagine imagination just kind of goes unchecked and you just wind up in places you didn't expect it to go i mean it's uh, yeah i guess and you know you've got people sitting around and you know starving for content and starving for things to talk about so I think that plays a role in it, but it's still, there's, there's no place for that stuff. Well, I, I suppose we'll end on this note. Everyone's kind of thrown their hat into the ring of what do you think the new name should be? Do you have a, do you have a favorite? Like if it was up to you, like it's in some bizarro world circumstance where Dan Snyder says, Cody Clark, I have given you authority to name our new team. What are you picking? Oh, I'm taking the uh, the Sentinels from the replacements. I tweeted this uh, tweeted this a little while ago when when the the name change came out. Was talking about. I was like, hey, you know, let uh, change the name to the Sentinels and Keanu Reeves backs up Dwayne uh, Dwayne Haskins. Who says no to that? I will say yes to this only <laughs> if Clifford Franklin is on the team. There we go. Like, we Absolutely. To, we like that is that is one of like me and my mom's favorite movies like whenever it's on cable we just kind of stop what we're doing especially if it's at the i will survive jailhouse scene like like, one of the best one of the best movie scenes of all time uh i know a lot of i'm seeing a lot of support for like the washington red hawks and my thought is like don't we already have enough bird teams in the nfl do we really need (laughs) do we really need another one We've got the Who we Ra- got we got Cardinals, Cardinals, Ravens, Ravens Eagles, Seahawks, Falcons. Oh, man. Like we've got at least <laughs> five. Uh, Red Tails sounded interesting. I mean, because it kind of fits. Like if you want to keep like the Hail Two song, like if you want like from a syllable standpoint, it fits. Like I would, I wouldn't mind seeing them go like completely off the wall, like calling themselves like the Washington Musketeers or something like that's not my official choice. Like if it was up to me, it'd be like, if it was up to me, I, I think red tails is kind of cool, but yeah, I like the red tails, the historical significance of that. And especially because they're in DC, I think that makes a lot of sense. But if, if Snyder called me up and asked, I mean, it's, it's Sentinels. No question about that. 
Are you... Well, they've already said they're going to keep the color scheme, so you can't get it to look exactly like they did in the film. That's uh, all right. I'll, I'll, I'll settle for just the name. Yeah, you'll, you'll settle for the name. Uh, also, it should be noted that Electronic Arts, the company that makes the Madden NFL video games, has come out and said, we are removing all redskin imagery from logos, to, from logos on the uniforms, logos on the field. I don't know if they're going to, like edit that out in like commentary because like you know all of that stuff commentary wise is taped in advance so it sounds like it's just gonna be just like a blank washington team that it's not gonna have a name it's not gonna have a logo which leads to my personal pet peeve is can you please put create a team back in madden so we can just like pick our own logo and just kind of run wild with our own idea of what we want the team to be (laughs) I haven't, I haven't, uh, I haven't played Madden in a while, but, um, but, uh, yeah, that's, you, you could, uh, you could have a, you could have a contest to, to go ahead and pick the, you know, the, the new name and colors and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, during this whole quarantine, I recently came across the PlayStation two and some old NCAA and Madden PS2 games. They hold up really well. They really do hold up. Oh, it's, I, 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 you know, especially NCAA, uh, but I, I definitely, you know, that it'd be great to have a new one of that, but it definitely holds. I mean, NCAA is, is still still very fun to this day, and they haven't made one in, you know, forever. So, yeah, 20, 2013 NCAA 14 was 13, the last. Yeah. yeah, was the last one they made a used copy on eBay will run you an average of one hundred and twenty five dollars. Good a, night. A used copy because it's it's the last one ever made. So if you have a copy, you're going to hang on to it. Yeah, no doubt. All right, so do you want to move to Major League Baseball or do you want to talk about NBA Restart next? Uh, let's do let's go to baseball and then uh, we'll save NBA Restart for uh, for the end. All right, so going with baseball, it was announced that the only team outside of the United States in Major League Baseball, the Toronto Blue Jays, the Canadian government has come out and said there will be no Toronto home games in Canada. They're going to be playing their home games, it looks like, in Buffalo, New York, which is the Toronto's AAA affiliate, and it's just across the Niagara River because Niagara Falls is, like, right there with Canada. So it appears that for at least this season, they're not going to be the Toronto Blue Jays. They're going to be the Buffalo Blue Jays, technically, because there's no games in Canada. Do you agree with the the Canadians' government's decision to just say no Canadian home games this year. Yeah. I mean, I support their decision. You know, it sounds like from everything that I've seen, you know, they have a, they have a pretty decent, uh, they have a pretty decent hold on the coronavirus and they've kind of plateaued out. And so they don't want to have some of those spikes in terms of, you know, teams coming into the country and playing games and, and fans following and different things like that. So you know, I support their decision because, you know, they're trying to make the they're trying to make a call that's best for for their citizens in their country. And, you know, the thing is, obviously, they're missing, you know, the the tourism dollars of people from the states going up to Canada and doing different things. But like I said, it sounds like they have a much better hold on the coronavirus than you could than you'd say that that we do here in the States. So, one of those things where it's unfortunate for for the Blue Jays to have to relocate and not be able to play 
you know, using their home facilities. But, you know, the decision for me makes a lot of sense uh, for Canada from, you know, the government's perspective. Just unfortunate that the team will have to kind of uproot and not necessarily have that home facility advantage, even though there aren't going to be fans. You know, you still have that uh, still have that advantage, still have the ability to, to stay at your own place and that kind of stuff. So I, I definitely support their decision, uh, Canada's decision, no doubt about that. But it is a little unfortunate for the players. But, you know, that's kind of the system that we've got right now. And, and you know, with everything that's going on in the pandemic, that's just kind of one of those one of those necessary moves that has to be made. The immigration Minister of Canada, Marco Mendocino, said in part, quote, There were serious risks if we proceeded with the regular season proposal of the Major League Baseball, of the MLB, and the Jays, and therefore we concluded it was not in the national interest. The Blue Jays are scheduled to start their season five days from now, July 24th, in Tampa Bay, and their home opener is scheduled for the 29th against the Nationals, and it seems like that's going to happen most likely in Buffalo, New York, which is the home of their AAA affiliate. Uh, on a on a somewhat related note, do you think there's going to be fans at these games? Is it going to be an empty stadium season? Uh, I think so. I mean, that's... Um... I mean, for me, with everything that's going on, and I know, you know, from an owner's perspective, it's, you know, you lose those those gate numbers uh, for all these home games if you don't have fans. But, you know, the, the TV money and playing these seasons out, the ability to play out the seasons, I think is probably the more important part. And and yes, you you heavily rely on fans in the stands and that generates a ton of money. But you also have a lot of money at stake playing these games, you know, and getting them on TV and on the radio and some of the advertising dollars and different things that go along with that. So, you know, obviously you'd love to see where, hey, even if you can get, you know, a few thousand fans in the stands, that's something that's a good thing. But at the same time, there's so many other things you have to plan for that go along with that. For me, I'd rather, you know, you just focus those energies and efforts uh, trying to figure out how best to keep everybody safe from a team perspective, play the games, air them on television, have them on the radio, secure that money. Obviously, there will be uh, some hits taken, but, you know, it's better than, you know, trying to figure out how to, you know, I, I think it's better than, you know, hey, we're going to have a full stadium load of people. And I think the the risks there far outweigh uh, the monetary value that you'd get from those games, because I think if you do that, you'd ultimately end up shutting down again. So I just, I just don't see how that'd be advantageous. Yeah. We've seen, we, we've seen in Korea, the KBO, they didn't allow fans, but they filled this fan, but they filled it with all those like carnival stuffed animals. So oh, that you're was brilliant. Not, so you're not looking at just empty seats. So they filled like they filled the stands with stuffed animals. Like there's, images around the internet about how they did that. I honestly don't know if we're going to get a full 60 games. Uh, and I, personally, I'm not sure if we should be playing anything at all with what, like, so what, 
makes you feel more confident about COVID-19 today, July 19th, that you felt five months ago or, or four months ago on March 19th? Do you feel any more confident or like, okay, yeah, we've got a handle on this? Because I don't. I, I mean... I don't, I don't think that confident is the right word, but we're, we've had time to work on, you know, different research and things for some sort of vaccine, for some sort of something that will help, uh, that will help us out with it. So, I mean, I totally understand where you're coming from. I do think that, and kind of that's my thought process in the no fans aspect is then you don't have to worry about 50,000 people showing up. And, you know, passing it around, potentially giving it to players and whatnot. I mean, you know, you've got if you're just playing games with team personnel, I mean, you've seen uh, you've seen the the auxiliary dugouts. Basically, they've taken, you know, at all these stadiums, they've taken they've created a second dugout down past the original dugout. You know, the 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 testing numbers out of Major League Baseball have been have been very, very promising. So that part of it, I think they've created a system and are creating a system of the ability to test everybody on a very regular basis and kind of move to keep that under control. So, I mean, you see numbers spiking in a lot of different places and that doesn't help the confidence, but I think they've got a system in place if they focus on you know, playing the games, it's going to be weird. It's going to be awkward. You're going to have, you know, piped in noise and you're going to have people wearing masks and you're going to have cardboard cutouts up on the green monster in Boston. It's, it's going to look a little odd, but I do think that they are going to be able to play a season. I've been encouraged by the testing numbers out of major league baseball. I think they've created a system and have a system in place that is going to be the best for, for the players. And it's a choice thing. I mean, you know, you've already had some players opt out and I think that's perfectly fine. That's well within their prerogative to do so. But I do think major league baseball and the other leagues as well have taken a, you know, a lot of steps to ensure that, Hey, you know, we recognize that these are not normal times. And so we've, you know, we're created this system and and we think it's going to work. And I do think that from the numbers that, have been, you know, from the testing numbers that have happened so far, it's encouraging. Now, obviously, I think some of that changes when you start introducing the travel and you start introducing other teams moving in and coming in to play games in places. But like I said, if you're not dealing with that massive movement of fans, I do think that does help them get the season in only playing 60 games. The season is scheduled to start within the next week because when we talked about Toronto, their season opener is scheduled for the 24th, which is five days from now. Uh, on a on a related note to Major League Baseball, uh, Yasiel Puig reached an agreement with the Atlanta Braves contingent on testing negative for COVID-19. He tested positive and the deal was voided, so he's still a free agent. Do you think that this is going to impact... Uh, contract negotiations at large when we like we figure out okay whether or not opting out of COVID-19 has ramifications or just we know that so and so tested positive for COVID-19 so we're not going to is it going to find its way into contracts Uh, I mean I think it could I, I think it's too early to necessarily know I mean like you said you saw the Puig deal which was voided because he tested 
uh, positive, but I, I think it's just still too early because I think that it won't be if you're able to carry on and everything's going well with the season and testing numbers, you know, positive tests and things are, are relatively low as they have been to this point so far in some training camps. So, you know, I think if that happens, then it won't be, but obviously if you start seeing, you know, spikes or different things, then I think 100% you're going to have some of those different clauses and effects in terms of the virus, you know, come to, come to the forefront. But, you know, if you're able, if they're able to, to continue to play and do that kind of stuff, then I think it'll be a, an issue. It'll be something they watch, but I don't think it'll necessarily be a, a huge, huge deal if they're, you know, able to have the, the success of numbers that they've had to this point. We'll see how this goes. The Major League Baseball regular season for some teams is supposed to start within the next week. We'll see how much of a season uh, they get in. This feels like this might be the Dodgers' year. It's like 60 games. They get mookie bets. I mean, they can put together a nice run and maybe walk away from this thing as quarantine champions. Like, wouldn't maybe? Wouldn't... But I'm really, I'm really excited about the fact that we've seen it in baseball. I mean, you're talking about, you know. I think the Rays, you're talking about last year, it was the Rangers, I think, who had gotten out of the gate very, very quickly. I think 60 games is so fascinating because we've seen, we see it year in and year out. You know, teams can have a really, really solid 30, 40, 50 game stretch. You know, teams that over the course of 162 are not going to be able to compete. But over the course of 50, 60 games, they proved that they were right in it. I think that's going to make for some fascinating storylines because you're going to see the same thing. I mean, when you, you know, when you don't have to worry about the 162, you know, you, you are really able to take advantage of that, that smaller game stretch. We've seen it every year. One of the, you know, there's always a surprise team or two that uh, rip out of the gate or that have a really, really good stretch and are fighting in it uh, early in the season. And I think, that same thing is going to happen. So I'm looking forward to it. It very well may be a year for the Dodgers, a year for the big boys, but I think you're going to have some, some surprise teams kind of sneak up in there just with the respect that, you know, you don't have to have the resources to compete for 162. You need the resources to compete for about, you know, 60 games plus a postseason. So I think it's going to make some, some very, very interesting baseball. It should be noted that over the first 15 games of last season, the Seattle Mariners were off to a 13-2 and start. On April 11th, first 15 games, 13-2. and They finished 68-94. and So that means right. in an abbreviated 60-game season, a team like the Seattle Mariners that just comes out white hot out the gate starts... 15 and two over the first 17 games, you know, in a normal 162 game season, this team might lose 85, 90 games. But since the season is so drastically shaved down, a team like that could sneak up and, and get in there. And I think that's what adds with the unpredictability. Uh, well, let, let's, yeah. Move. And I think it changes. Yeah. I think it changes the mindset too. Like, you know, if you have a team like that, you know, you're looking at it going, you know, Hey, you know, we, we may not have enough pitching or we may not have enough of this to stretch out 162, but you rattle off 13 of 15, you know, you rattle off 17 of 24 to open a season. And then all of a sudden, or, you know, you have that stretch after a couple of weeks and all of a sudden you're going, Hey, we're, 
we're right in there. And so that mindset, I think, uh, contributes to it as well. So I really think it's going to be interesting because you're going to have some teams that are going to be in the mix that you're going to kind of scratch your head going, wait, what? Yeah, if, remember where the Nationals were. Like, if I told you this time last year the Nationals are going to win the World Series, it's like, what? No, they're not. Oh, yeah, no. Like, you'd they're falling you'd, apart. You'd laugh me off the – you'd laugh me out of there. It's like, what? What are you talking about? They're falling apart. Like, the manager's about to get fired. There's no way they're going to turn this thing around, but they did. And they – because it's such an incredibly long season, there's a lot of peaks and valleys and ups and downs. And looking at the NBA restart that is scheduled to happen at the end of the month – Honestly, I don't know what to expect. You know, we've... <laughs> Zion Williamson left the bubble to tend to an urgent family member matter, which means that when he comes back, he's going to have to quarantine himself from the team and test negative and everything. You know, pretty much all we know about the NBA restart is that some players will have social justice messages on their jerseys and others will not. This is normally where I'd like to get into, like, your favorite storylines, but I honestly don't know where to start or what to expect from this. What do you expect? I, I There's some similar expectations for me with baseball in the respect that, again, I think the NBA, the NBA has developed a system, has a system in place that, you know, the testing numbers that have come out so far. I mean, look, you're not going to have nobody you know, test positive, you're not going to be completely free and clear as a league when you have that many, you know, team personnel, that many players, that many people involved in trying to finish out a season and, you know, play out the playoffs and that sort of stuff. So again, the, the testing numbers I think are encouraging. The interesting part for me of the NBA is major league baseball. You know, you can expand the rosters out. You have, you know, you carry, you know, 14, 15, 20 pitchers, you know, you've got, you've got two, three, four third basemen, you know, on a, maybe a 40 man roster or something like that. You know, and the NBA doesn't have that. And so in a league that's such star driven as well, you know, what happens when a LeBron James test positive in the first round of the playoffs or when, you know, uh, a Giannis, if he tests positive for Milwaukee, you know, at some point here, maybe gearing up for the playoffs, maybe second to last game as they finish out the regular season. Russell so, Westbrook I, has know, already I, announced that he did test positive. Yeah, Westbrook has already had it. So, you know, the the proximity of players on the court, you know, you know, there's there's a lot of those concerns in football and NBA, you know, even in, in some different baseball situations. But I just think the roster size is the intriguing part of the NBA because it is so much smaller. You know, the percentage of positives and things are still way down. But if you do have a few of those strategic cases, the NBA relies on and strategic cases is not the right word. But, you know, some of those some of those place some of those places where one of those guys tests positive, the NBA is such an individual uh, star driven league. Uh, obviously you compete as a team, but you know, from a branding perspective, the NBA from an individual, James Harden, LeBron James, Giannis, you know, those people are massive, massive brands where you don't have that as much in the NFL or in major league baseball. That's the interesting part for me. I think the NBA has done a good job. I think we're going to see basketball finish out 
but it is going to be an interesting situation when, you know, you have a couple of guys on a team that maybe test positive and all of a sudden an entire team has to quarantine. And, and, you know, how does that work if you're in the second round of the playoffs? You know, how does that push things back? How does that change? You know, I think that's the interesting, the interesting part for me. There are a lot of questions that I have about this, not just from a how is this all going to look perspective, but, you know, like what you mentioned, what happens when we get into the heat of the season and someone tests positive? Like, let's let's say, for example, in the Eastern Conference, I, I don't know if they're doing like East versus West, like, but... Let's just say somehow we get to whatever the equivalent of the conference finals is and you get the Bucks and Raptors again. And in between game three and game four, we find out Chris Middleton and one of the Milwaukee assistant coaches is tested positive. So, okay, so does that mean that the Bucks are forced to forfeit and the Raptors just get to go to the finals? You know, because if it happens in the middle of the series and then everybody's got a quarantine, okay, so assuming that on the other side of the bracket everything's fine and they finish on schedule, what do you do? Do you just put do you just put everything on hold until we get the free and clear? Or do we say, sorry, Milwaukee, but due to the timing of this testing or on these positive tests, we're going to have to force your hand and require you to forfeit. Therefore the Raptors get to move on. Like how is, how was any of this going to work? No, it's a good question. And I don't think we have any answers because it's going to be, you know, I think you can sit down and have a manual and have all of these contingencies, but you just don't really know because like you said, you know, and, and completely aside from the pandemic, you know, you've already seen the Lakers. I mean, they've lost two of their better defensive guards in uh, Bradley and Rajon Rondo to injuries, not even not even COVID nineteen related. So you know you saw the thing where the exhibitions are going to be ten minutes, uh, ten minute quarters. So they're going to shave you know eight minutes of game time off of the exhibitions just to try and get everybody back in condition. I mean injuries are going to be you know just as big you know play just as big a part as the, as the COVID-19, as the pandemic things are going to play in. So again, it's going to be fascinating to see how it all plans out, all plays out because you can have all these different plans in place, but you just really don't know until you've, you, you put it into practice. And I think that's where you can, you know, the NBA has sat around and they've developed a system and at this point right now, it looks like they've done everything they can and they've created, you know, as safe an environment as possible, but you just don't know until things kind of ramp up as you, as you expect them to, and as you move towards finishing out the year. So we just really don't know and we can speculate and we can, and that's, you know, it's not, it's not fun or entertaining to say that, that you just don't know, but we really don't because look at what's happened over the course of, the first, you know, six months, six months of this year, we really just don't know what's going to happen because it could go in so many different directions. And as you mentioned, you know, the time, the timing of, of how some of this is going to play out is going to really force the hand of these leagues and these commissioners. And, you know, there's the potential to have some really, really, um, really, really earth shattering stuff happen with regards to, 
what could play out depending on what happens related to this pandemic. We all, we, we heard last year, like critics of the Toronto Raptors were like, well, yeah, you beat the Warriors, but you really didn't beat the Warriors. There was no Durant. There was no Clay Thompson. You were beating Steph Curry and Kevon Looney. Like imagine how angry a franchise is going to be if they make it all the way to whatever the conference finals is. And then two, a couple guys test positive and the league forces them to forfeit. Like just right. speak, talk, talk about getting robbed out of that. If the, if the league forces you to forfeit because there's positive tests, for, for example, just to bring it somewhat local, uh, a, a, a softball team here in Iowa, uh, I believe it was either Hampton Dumont or New Hampton. I just remember there was a Hampton. One of the assistant softball coaches tested positive, so they were forced to scrap the remainder of their season. It's okay, assistant coach tests positive. All right, show's over, season's done. Okay, you guys all go home. And that's just, I, I get that high school softball and the NBA are two completely different levels of athletic competition, but the sentiment is still there. But right. let, let's go the hopelessly optimistic route and say, by some miracle, we get the whole season and nobody tests positive. They just go the hopelessly optimistic route. If you had to pick one team to walk away with the quarantine championship, who are you picking? Oh, that's tough. I, I still like, I like the Clippers because I like Kawhi Leonard because I like Paul George. I think the Lakers for me are a strong two, but I do like the Clippers uh, because I like those two guys when it comes down to, you know, a seven game series in the playoffs. I, I, you know, I think Milwaukee is playing, you know, was playing incredibly well. I really like what they have, but they just haven't proven that they can take that next step in the playoffs. So until that point, uh, I would say the Clippers, but you know, we'll, uh, we'll see what happens because again, it's one of those, one of those things like we've talked about with baseball, you know, it's a shortened condensed amount of time. You know, you're not gearing up for, you know, a full 82 game slate. You're finishing out a regular season and then you're going into the playoffs. You know, if you're one of these, you know, one of these five, six, seven seeds, you know, you, you get hot for a couple of weeks and you can find yourselves right in the mix. So I will, I will cop out and take the front runner and, and, and take the Clippers, but you know, I would not rule out one, you know, uh, a Houston Rockets or somebody like that being able to make a, a lot of noise. I'm going to go on the other end and I'm just going to stick with the team that over the regular season was the most dominant. And that's the Milwaukee Bucks. I'm just going to take Milwaukee. Uh, you know, just, I, I know that the last time that anybody played basketball was mid March, but <laughs> just how they were playing in the regular season. I, I, I guess I'm just hoping some of that carries over by osmosis. Yeah, for sure. Uh, a couple, a couple quick things uh, to go back to callbacks. Do you remember the story last year of the St. Thomas football program that got kicked out of its conference because the other teams were like, "You're too good." Yes, I do remember that, and I saw we have an update on that story. Yes, in an unprecedented ruling, St. Thomas is going to make the jump from Division Three to Division One, FCS, but still Division One. They're going to make a 
huge leap. Uh, congrats to Saint, congrats to Saint Thomas to finding somewhere to land. Yeah, no doubt, and that's that's uh, they're going to play non-scholarship football in the Pioneer League, as far as I understand. But yeah, that is a a huge, huge jump, and you mentioned unprecedented uh, four teams to be able to make that move, but uh, they were just too good and got kicked out. So I'm glad they've, uh, I'm glad they've landed somewhere. And I think they're going to be able to make a, a lot of FCS noise. Cause that is a, a top notch program. Yeah. Especially on the division three level. So that means Minnesota's finally got some comp. Well, I don't know what level like Mankato state is on, but it looks like there might be a number two school in the state of Minnesota now. Yeah, for sure. You know, Division One. Now they're you know the second Division One program, but uh, I think Minnesota State Mankato, a traditional Division Two Division Two power at our level. You know, they're gonna they're gonna want to have a few words because that is a, a very good football program in its own right. But yes, you know, becoming the the second Division One program uh, football program in the state of Minnesota, uh, a, a very cool accomplishment and a, a great ruling for them to be able to make that jump. Yeah, Minnesota State Mankato is Division Two. They are Division Two. They have a couple sports to compete on the Division One level, but not their football team. All right, Cody, it, we would be remiss to not throw in at least one little NFL chestnut. That Patrick Mahomes contract, man. Oh my gosh. Unprecedented, ridiculous, whatever word you want to use. I'm just, I'm so fascinated by this because, uh, you know, I found, and I, I, I can't, I can't ever find this chart again. I need to go back and look at it, but the, the numbers bear it out in the respect that I don't think you've had a Super Bowl winning quarterback take up more than like 18%, uh, maybe 20% tops of the salary cap. Uh, in the salary cap era. And so, you know, how is Kansas City going to be able to do that? Because Patrick Mahomes, ha- one, has earned, and two, is worth every penny of that deal. But unless, as it's been suggested, you're able to create some sort of quarterback-only salary cap where you can remove them from the cap and, and kind of create their own, it's a you're in an interesting predicament because you've got one guy taking up, you know, pushing 30, 30, maybe over 30 percent of the salary cap. That does not leave you a lot of room to create something around him. And Evan, how many of these teams have we seen be able to create that when they have a quarterback? Dak Prescott, Jared Goff has done it, you know, Lamar Jackson you're able to surround young guys making no money with high, high-level talent at every position. That's not the case when your quarterback makes $40 million a year. You're going to have to, to hit the lottery on a couple of guys and find some gems. And the quarterback is the most important part. There's no question about that. And if you have Patrick Mahomes, you're going to be much, much better off, even if you're, he's throwing to you and me, you're much better off for having that guy but you definitely have your work cut out for you to put a team around him because he's making so much money. For context, the Jared Goff contract that he signed was a four-year, hundred and thirty was four years, one hundred and thirty-four million. That's the entire contract. 
Patrick <laughs> Mahomes guarantees alone over 12 years. Well, he's guaranteed only $63 million at signing, but the partial guarantees go up to $141 million. So think of the Jared Goff contract as like, I guess like an ant crawling across a sidewalk. And here, <laughs> and here comes the steel-toed boot of Patrick Mahomes and his contract just crushing the rest of the quarterback contracts in its under its enormous weight. I mean, we, we asked this question, does a number exist that Patrick Mahomes and his agent could ask for and people would think that they paid too much and it's unreasonable? The answer to that question appears to be no, not really. Because the five hundred three million, they're like, man, that sounds about right. He's earned it. Not co- not coming off of a Super Bowl, you're not looking at that kind of money. If he'd have lost the Super Bowl, it would still be pretty close. But coming off the Super Bowl, he was in the perfect position to cash out. Have you seen like that Jordan Peele sweats profusely meme? Have you seen that? Like uh, I don't think I have. Or like just or like the side or like that sock puppet with uh, that goes like. That just kind of has the side eye look. <laughs> How nervous is Steve Bashotti right now with Lamar Jackson, seeing the, seeing that Patrick Mahomes contract? How nervous is he right now? Because you know, the, I think he's a little. I think he's nervous, but also Patrick Mahomes went to the table with a Super Bowl. Lamar Jackson's not there yet, so if he wins the Super Bowl, he he should be very very concerned. Lamar Jackson is still worth a lot of money, but again, you know, um, until you have that postseason success, there is going to be you know, some sort of quote unquote cap on what you'll be able to, you know, what you'll be able to leverage yourself for. Yeah, $503 million is the life of the contract. Will he see all $500 million of it? I don't, I don't know. But in the course of NFL history, there have been five 10-year contracts given out over the course of NFL history, all quarterbacks, none of them. Made it all ten years. Do you wow. think Pat? Do you think Do you think Patrick Mahomes will make it all ten years, or is he going to make it six or seven years? Because there's been I, five ever, but no one has made it all ten years of a deal. I do think he. I, I do think he breaks the mold and he makes it. Uh, he makes it all ten of the the deal, or all twelve. I guess it is with his with his two years that he currently has plus the 10. So here are the five 10 year deals that were announced before the Patrick Mahomes deal. The first one, well, they were both in the same, they were both kind of in the same month, but we had Brett Favre who signed a 10 year, hundred million dollar extension in March of 2001. He was on the team until the end of the 2007 season where he famously did the retirement, then unretirement and wound up with the jets. That same month, Drew Bledsoe signed a 10-year, $103 million extension in March. By September of that year, some guy named Tom Brady came along, and within and within 15 months, Drew Bledsoe was no longer the starter. And within the next couple of years, he was traded to Buffalo. After that, in 2002, Donovan McNabb, 12 years, $115 million in 2002. The Eagles held on to him until 2010. Dante Culpepper, 10 years, $102 million in May of 2003. He was, traded by, he was traded after the 2005 season. Michael Vick, 
10 years, 130 million in December 2004. Um, yeah, then, then all the dogs, dog fighting stuff happened <laughs> and he went to jail. And that's it. That's all five contracts that were, that are 10 years or more given out in the NFL. And none of them ended well from circumstances really beyond their control, like injury, Tom Brady, Michael Vick going to jail. Like there was, there were a lot of outside circumstances, but Patrick Mahomes, see if there's one guy that could maybe do it, it seems like it's him. There is, but as we've seen in the past handful of months, 10 years is a long time. I mean, it feels like it's been 10 years in the past, you know, the first six months of this, this 2020. So you look at two years plus 10 years, that is a long way to go. Maybe we will be talking about Mahomes finishing the deal. I do think he does, but we got a long way to go. We do have a long way to go because if he plays out the entire length of his contract, he will be under contract with the team until the 2031, the 2032 season. Wow. Which I can't even imagine what the world is going to look like in 20, in the 2030s. All right, that, that should wrap up this episode of the From the Booth podcast. The next time Cody and I get together, we're going to preview college football in the NFL and, of course, answer the most important question, are we even going to have a football season? <laughs> well, well, Cody, thanks for thanks for finally being able to get our schedules to sync up so we, so we can sit down and talk about this. It's been a long time. I miss this. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a while. We gotta we gotta get back going. You're talking about the the football aspect of it. You know, we'll here in here in a, our our Division two level, we've had a, a handful of conferences come out and suspend fall sports, so including football. So I, we're we're due for a decision. You know, for our conference here at some point. So next time we meet, we'll probably know whether we are playing football or not uh, here in the here on the at least on the D2 level. So going to be, we're in some interesting times. That's, that's for sure. We are in some interesting times, especially when with where we are right now, just locally at Waldorf, there is questions about whether or not we're even, we're going to have a season. Right. If, If it was up to me, I would say, no, I don't think so because I, I don't know how this whole bring everybody to school thing is going to work. It's, there are just a lot of outside questions from like like a kind of a moral and ethical standpoint that I would not feel comfortable answering if I had to make that decision. A lot of people smarter than me getting paid a lot more than me to make these calls, so I'm going to let them do that and, and we'll see what pans out. Indeed. So the next time we get together, we're going to preview, hopefully, the 2020 college football season and the 2020 NFL season. For Cody Clark, I'm Evan Eichen saying so long, and we'll see you next time.